You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on the brand new podcast app, Himalaya. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm not going to be joined today by my usual co-host, David Ramil. He is traveling today. But uh, I'll be joined later on by Brendan Clean, who is another host on the Locked On Podcast Network. He was in Chicago on the ground for the NBA Draft Combine. So we're going to talk to him about that, sort of what what his takeaways, uh, what he heard as far as rumblings about the draft were. Uh, we'll talk. We'll, we'll be joined by him later on. But first, I wanted to address this rumor, this report by Sean Devenny of the Sporting News that the Heat could be willing to move their lottery pick, number 13, in exchange for Mike Conley from Memphis. And I, I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I, I, and I'm not doubting the source here. Devenny's been pretty good on this stuff. Um, I mean, he's not Adrian Wojnarowski or anything, but um, I'm not doubting that the Heat wouldn't entertain this offer. And so basically what it would get down to is the number 13 pick plus probably a bad contract, whether it's Dion Waiters or James Johnson. You might have to throw in Goran Dragic so that Memphis gets a replacement point guard and so that if you're Miami, you're not doubling down on point guards there. But um, they'll have to, they'll obviously have to wait and see on a couple of things. Number one, does Goran Dragic opt in to his $19 million contract next year? If he opts in, that probably it, it it changes this the way the trade could get done. If he opts in, you obviously include Dragic into that trade, and maybe for the Heat, you tell Dragic like, "Listen, man, if you opt in, there is a chance come draft day that we trade you to Memphis. So if you're okay with that, if you're okay collecting this money, regardless if it's in Memphis or Miami or anywhere else, go ahead and opt in. So that might factor into the calculus for Goran Dragic. Does he want to opt in and, and cash this check now? Or does he want to opt out, try to get one more long-term deal later? Uh, we'll see. The other option here, or the other thing that, that that could kind of come into play here, is who's left on the board when the Heat pick at 13? I don't think that this would be a trade that happens before the night of the NBA draft. Now, the two teams could talk about it and agree on the parameters of the trade, but I think it really will matter who's on the board by the time the Heat pick at 13. If somebody slides that they really want, I don't see them, them trading the pick. So I like I like this as an option. I like this as an option. There's not a whole... Right now, this isn't a really deep draft. Now, after the combine and stuff, I think we're going to get... They'll, this As we get closer to the draft, we start hearing things like, Oh, well, actually, this draft is deeper than everybody thought. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. But I do think that there's a couple of guys that the Heat probably earmark as, okay, if this guy slides, we will take him. If none of these guys are on the board, then maybe you do consider trading the 13th pick for Mike Conley. Now, a Mike Conley trade, and by the way, before I think one of the guys is Kevin Porter Jr. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Heat. The more I... The more I looked into his game when we did our scouting report a couple weeks ago on him, the more I liked him. 
I think he's a, a swing for the fences type of guy, which is the sort of prospect I think the Heat need to go for in this draft. I think he checks all the boxes. Now, the only thing that you worry about is his off-the-court issues. He was suspended for from USC last year. Um, he's come out and said all the right things. I think the NBA Draft Combine helped him as far as the interviews with teams and stuff. And there's already rumors now that he could be selected in the top five or six of the draft, which I think is insane. I don't think that's going to happen. But if if he goes before 13, it looks like he might. Then he's not on the board. I don't know who else will be on the board by the time they keep it. Like, Romeo Langford, I don't think does it. I just... We did, an, we did our scouting report on him. We don't love him. Um, I'm not sure that the Heat are going to love him. Maybe they do. I don't know. But when you get the 13... And the Heat are looking around, and they've already talked to Memphis about this Mike Conley deal. That will be a decision that they have to make, depending on who's there. So, the other part about this Mike Conley situation is, yeah, he's under contract for two more years. Uh, it's a player option at the end. He's definitely going to take it. It's like $30-plus plus million. He's definitely taking it. Um, he's a really good player. He's really good in pick-and-roll situations. He had a great two-man game with Marc Gasol for years and years and years in Memphis. He could develop that same sort of thing with possibly Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olenek if he's still around. He can he can lead Miami's offense, but he doesn't have to overwhelm Miami's offense in that there still will be room for Justice Winslow to do his thing. There could still be room for Josh Richardson to do his thing. So I think he's a good fit in a vacuum. I'm not even that worried about the money because it's really only a couple of years of $30 million. And if you're able to get off of one of these contracts, well, then it doesn't look as bad. Now, you're still eating into your cap space for the summer of 2020, but there are other ways to get off of that. You might even be able to flip Mike Conley down the road, okay? Especially if he's going into an expiring contract. That's a lot easier to trade than where Memphis is right now with him having two more years left on his contract. There's not a lot of teams that could take that on. Now, we've already heard reports that Detroit, Indiana, Utah, all those teams could be in the mix too, which could drive the 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 value of the trade package up. But if I'm Miami, I'm probably settling somewhere at the 13th pick, which none of those other teams can offer a pick that good. The 13th pick and probably James Johnson and Goran Dragic. For Mike Conley, maybe you're able to get a couple of picks out of that, like a second round pick or something out of them too. But that would basically be the bones of the deal. I don't mind it. I think you got to figure out a way to get off of Dion Waiters if you do that for sure. But and that way you'll have enough space to open up. You'll have enough room from a, another Max guy next year, in addition to Mike Conley, plus Winslow Richardson and Bam. That's a real team right there. So there's rumors of that. I don't. And then, of course, um, Zach Lowe on his podcast said that the Heat will be aggressive in the trade market and the sign-in trade market. So the trade market, yeah, I think the Mike Conley thing factors in there. That you can kind of fold that under the trade market report. The sign-in trade thing, we've been talking about that for weeks. We know that they're going to be involved in sign-in trades. It's probably Jimmy Butler is the obvious name there, but D'Angelo Russell could be another guy. Right, Brooklyn doesn't isn't flush with assets. So like, we know that the the Billy King trade, all the first round picks, like that is over. But they're still they don't have a ton of just raw assets anyway, like additional assets anyway. So they could be in the market for that. Problem is Miami doesn't really have that. So um, I don't know what their 
I, I don't know why they would be inclined to help Miami out in a sign and trade uh, for D'Angelo Russell. Kemba Walker, maybe. I mean, if you can interest Charlotte and Hassan Whiteside and Goran Dragic, say, hey, like Kemba's going to walk away, but we'll give you these two guys if you can help us out with the Kemba Walker sign and trade and give us another piece here. Um, and then you look at Philadelphia. I know we keep, again, we keep looking at Jimmy Butler. He's the obvious guy. And like Pat Riley, Pat Riley said, you know, the players decide where they want to go now and everybody else just sort of makes it happen. The Jimmy Butler thing still makes a lot of sense to me. I just, I still have this weird feeling that he ends up with the Lakers, but I don't know. So if the Heat are going to get aggressive, there's a real chance that this whole thing looks different by the time the season starts. I, I think that they have some contracts that could stack up for sign and trades, and that could really help them. When I say stack up, you could kind of build these, you, you, you can put these contracts together in order to create a trade package that equals something close to a max deal. And so that's how you can actually get the sign and trade done. And these players can help teams. I think Goran Dragic can obviously help a team. James Johnson has a rare skill set. I think he can help a team. So um, that that's really it on the Mike Conley stuff. Mike Conley, Jimmy Butler, Kemba Walker. I wouldn't rule any of these guys out. You know, maybe it's it. There's a lot of teams that are going to be looking at these guys and trying to get these guys on there. But Miami's going to be aggressive, and that's really all you can ask for at this point. And I don't doubt that report at all. I don't doubt Sean Devaney's report. I don't I don't doubt Zach Lowe's report whatsoever. I fully expect the Heat to be aggressive. It doesn't mean anything is going to get done, but it does mean that they're going to try. And they have to because we can't do another year of what we just saw for the last three years. Let's take a break. Coming up next, I'll be joined by Brendan Clean to talk about the NBA Draft Combine. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And untuck it. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It could be hard for guys to pull off a casual untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where untuck it comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com and use the promo code NBA to get 20% off. I'm here now with Brendan Clean, host of Locked On Suns and writer at Bright Side of the Sun, fan-sided and others. Brendan, you were in Chicago for last week's NBA Draft Combine. You could see on TV people coming in and out, a bunch of interviews, drills, measurements being done all over the gym. But what was it like being there on the ground? It's it's really a who's who of the NBA, right? You have just, it's not open to the public. So these guys don't have to worry about ignoring fans and heckling uh, (laughs) crowds. So it's just... A lot of of chatting, a lot of as as people have said openly, it's it's really when business starts getting done. So uh, cool to to meet some of these young guys, and cool to kind of watch all that happen. That was your first time doing the combine. It was my first time. Yeah, I flew myself out just to kind of see how it all went, and yeah, uh, definitely worth it. It's it's a cool it's a cool environment. Like I said, just because it isn't open to the public. What else did you do in Chicago while you were there? Because I I did Chicago for the first time last year. I freaking loved it. 
Chicago is one of the best cities ever. I, <laughs> I had an uncle there for, he, he lived there for a while. He's out in San Diego now, but this was actually my sixth time visiting Chicago. Okay. Um, so I can't lie. It was definitely an excuse to just go to Chicago, but, <laughs> but I, I, I'm the other highlight was I caught the, uh, the count the dings live show. I don't know mm. if, if you listen yeah. to them, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but that was, that was okay. awesome. So I stayed an extra day to, to check their, their live show out and, and meet some people there. And that was a lot yeah. of fun too, but yeah, Chicago is great. Yeah. Shout out to Jade. Good guy. Um, no, I, I had a great time in Chicago. I, uh, first of all, I went in October, so it was cold. I didn't mind it because it just gave you an excuse to duck into bars late at night and just drink there. So I was all in on that experience. Yeah, uh, I, found a, I found a Warriors bar in Chicago. I, I literally was oh. not planning to. I was trying to find a place to watch game three or game two of that series and found a bar on the internet that was highly rated and seemed like a cool spot. Duck my head in. And no lie, they have cups, napkins, flags. It, it's like a legitimate Warriors bar, and it just huh. so happened that was the game I was watching. So that was another highlight. That was that was really fun. A bunch of probably the only two dozen Warriors fans in Chicago, but they were all there, and it was it was a well, crazy night. It's a great sports town because all the bars are sports bars. Where I'm I'm out here in like the San Francisco Bay area and you go into all the bars and they're all cocktail bars. So they're different. Like it's, it's cool. If you're like, if you're really into having your, like if you want your simple syrup to be like homemade in your old fashioned, it's great for that. (laughs) But if you want to watch a sports game, not great. So um, anyway, you were at the, how long did you, were you at the combine itself when you weren't drinking at Warriors bars? I Thursday, Friday, I was there the whole time. So just five hours each day is the, the way it works. And, yeah, I got the whole experience. What were you said? People are chatting. That's when business starts getting done. I mean, what were people talking about there? Were you, I mean, whether the conversations you had or just heard going on around you, I it felt it felt like honestly the the majority of what I was kind of seeing was um, I the the number one impression I got, which was quickly followed up with my my reaction being correct, was Gerson Rosas and. Ryan Saunders spent the entire week together. So it felt mm. very unlikely that that guy was going to get the ax. And here we are. He, he's going to be the coach there. So that was, that was one thing I noticed. Um, a lot of people wanting to talk to Alvin Gentry and David Griffin, uh, which they won the lottery, right. but also they're going to kind of be the center of this whole entire summer now. So yeah. uh, that was, that was definitely one. And no one could get enough of those two guys. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think the rest, the rest of it was just there's a ton of scouts. I mean, the business is one thing, but getting eyes on on these players is is a huge part of it. So just a ton of scouts sitting there with their notebooks, you know, getting whatever they can from these scrimmages and all that. It's going to help that both David Griffin and Alvin Gentry are they they love to talk to people. Like they're they're very out there. They're very personable, and I they are people like to talk to them, and they like to talk to people, and so I think they're going to get. It wouldn't surprise me if they got a lot of business done within the next couple of months. Well, and and I think we can uh, kind of read between the lines. You know, Trajan Langdon getting hired over in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. probably he he was there, of course, and I'm sure it didn't hurt to have that time together to to work those details out. So, yeah, it's it's kind of funny the ripple effects you see right after the reporting that gets done there and the the deals that get done. But um, yeah, New Orleans is New Orleans is a powerhouse. All of a sudden, that's that's one of the things we're learning here this week. Did you see anybody from the Heat? We know that they they were there. Did you see them? 
Yeah, I said this on on our podcast. Evan Evan Sidery, my co-host, was asking like what the who I saw, what was the most starstruck I got, and I'm pretty immune to it, of course. Like covering these games and everything, we're not really at that level. But Pat Riley, I just I was just not expecting to see him. Um, mm-hmm. So that that one really got me. But yeah, him, him and Spo were up in the top corner doing their own thing, uh, watching. Not talking biggest- to David Griffin. Not talking to David Griffin, okay. no. Right. But they, uh, they, yeah, they were camped out all day on Thursday. I didn't see either one of them on Friday, but yeah, they, yeah, they were, were just watching prospects. Yeah. Um, what prospects were they watching? Do you know? I mean, who was who was who was doing stuff when they were there? Well, I would say the the scrimmages were uh, a little bit bizarre this year because so few prospects um, participated, but. I mean, they got to see pretty good performances from Grant Williams. I think he's a guy that people will, will turn heads. Um, you know, there were even the guys who weren't scrimmaging. Nasir Little was putting up threes and looked pretty good. Um, Brandon Clark was about the most personable and, and most intelligent guy I spoke with all weekend. He was participating in the athletic stuff, but not quite playing in the scrimmages. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess they're in that range where it wasn't too disappointing for them probably because they got to get some eyes on guys they could actually draft, whereas the Suns, probably not so much. Uh, who else from the guys that you interviewed and were around, who impressed you the most? Maybe somebody that surprised you or launched up your own personal big board a little bit more after after having spent some time with them and talking with them? I would say Grant Williams actually uh, okay. was was the highlight, really, like genuinely was the guy mm-hmm. who – he just blew me away. I mean, just an, an understanding of what he's going to need to do to be successful in the NBA. And uh, he he said he's been talking to P.J. Tucker about kind of what that role oh. for him might look like, which is just cool to hear that he's reaching out to the right types of guys, you know. Perfect so, thing to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody wants a P.J. Tucker. Yep. Everybody wants a P.J. Tucker. And I think he's one of the guys that can credibly say he, he could be one. So, and then, uh, I mean, he's getting asked about all these – these situations and rosters around the league, which is kind of a silly thing that beat writers like to do at these kinds of events. It's like, give the kid a break to a certain degree. But he was answering these questions like he had just been doing homework on it for the past six months. He, you know, specific, you know, jobs and things he was going to need to do to, to help the guys already in place on those rosters. So he was by far the guy that, that impressed me the most. So that's why he's he's been mocked to the heat in a lot of these mock drafts, Grant Williams has. and. Okay is rising up a lot of boards I'm seeing post-combine. So it seems like a lot of people were impressed with him. Yeah, and he was one of the only guys, like I said, who actually played in a scrimmage. He was probably the, you know, everybody has these guys different spots, but I think he was probably the guy who had the most to lose by going out and doing this and and still went out and played. And he just, his answer was basically like, you know, this is an opportunity to show people what I can do and to go play basketball. So I love to do both of those things. I'm going to go play. So I think he definitely uh, turned a lot of heads, for sure. We'll be back with more draft talk from Brendan Clean when we come back after the break. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, moms, and wives. I guess no sisters. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist making the belt super comfortable. Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. And today, Grip6 is a special offer for you. Check it out at grip6.com lock. 
L-O-C-K-E, grip6.com slash lock. And remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Heat on the new Himalaya podcast app in an ever-expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya. With their personally curated playlists and constantly updated new features, download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Heat. A lot of people are saying this is a, a two-person draft, a three-person draft. You know, Zion, John Morant, and then the third person, if you're in on him, is R.J. Barrett. Uh, what do you think about this draft? Is it? Do you think it's deeper than people are giving it credit for? I would say, uh, yeah, I think it's a one-person draft, and then okay, uh, and then you can kind of dip your toes if you want to with the diff- with a few different guys. But I think there's going to be some players in the you know. 10 to 40 range that unexpectedly can can do some things for you can just be role players we saw you know some of them make some deep tournament runs that got to flash that a little bit more i don't think it's it's clearly not anyone who's paid any attention knows it's not star heavy this is not last year's draft this is not you know something where multiple franchises are going to be set up forever going forward but I think that there, there you could, you know, Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, those are two guys that I think fit that mold. Um, there's a lot of big men, some versatile big men. Bruno Fernando was a guy that I got to see put some shots up this week who I just think is going to be pretty good. I, I think, you know, maybe not fair to the teams who sucked all year to try to get a great player, but we might see some of these good teams walk away with a gem that we're not expecting. I, you know, I agree with you in one point. You said it's a one-person draft with Zion. I actually think it's sort of this. This draft is weird in that it's it's tiered in a way where it is a one-person draft because Zion is so head over heels better than John Morant, but then John Morant is so head over heels better prospect than anybody else. And then R.J. Barrett seems to be if, again, if you're in on him, if you like R.J. Barrett, and I, I like R.J. Barrett, I thought he, I thought Duke did him a, a disservice his freshman year. And he's kind of head over heels the next best prospect, better than the next best prospect. So I kind of think you have this clear number one, a very clear number two, a very clear number three. And then after that, it's a little jumbled. I think that we'll, and we always see this, we'll see somebody come out of that jumbled area and just be a really good player. Yeah, I got a name for you. I got a name for the guy who's going to jump up. And it's a guy I forgot to mention with all these other things we were talking about. That's Nick Claxton. Um, he went to Georgia sophomore. So he had one year under Tom Crean this year. Um, I think he, he did himself a lot of favors this week on the court, had seven blocks in the first scrimmage can genuinely switch out and and defend on the perimeter and knock down threes. Just that prototypical, very raw, but the guy you could easily see playing in the playoffs, you know, a modern big man. So I think you're right. Every year we get surprised by the guy who rises as if, we didn't see it coming, and I think he's the guy I've locked into. I, I really feel like he could make his moves up up into the maybe the teens if he really gets gets hot during workouts and all that. But uh, that's the guy I would have my eye on. Yeah, I saw his interview um, on NBA TV or whatever they they put it on ESPN. I don't know. Um, I w- I really liked him. He he seemed just committed to the work. He's been he said he's been playing basketball since he was two years old. His dad played in the league. Um, I think that that would be, or I don't know if he played in the NBA, but he played basketball for a living. Um, yeah, I like Claxton. He was a big recruit too. And look, Tom Crean guy, right from Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. We know the Tom Crean connection with, with the Miami heat, obviously Crean coached Dwayne Wade at Marquette. So I don't know. We know Dwayne Wade actually texted Pat Riley. He's like, this is the name of the guy that you should look at. So maybe he texted Pat Riley about Nick Claxton. There we um, go. Yeah. I, I think he, uh, 
he did he definitely came off as a guy who just kind of knows knows what he needs to do polished speaking to us even though he's only a sophomore and yeah uh yeah i i I really liked him and he was not somebody i had even on close to my radar until about you know march and late late bloomer but could definitely rise up last one for you uh nasir little we did our scouting report we're doing these scouting reports uh we're doing a few of them every week and i'll 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 kind of take a few days and do one prospect and kind of report back on the podcast to my co-host david David will do the same thing, report back on his prospect with me. He got Nasir Little last week, and he came back and wasn't super impressed with him. What are your thoughts on Nasir Little? I feel like um, what what a lot of people have been saying about this draft is that, as we said, very tiered, very kind of weird at the top, but situation dependent for a lot of the other players. Um, Speaking of the ESPN interviews, Little was a guy who – again, just seemed very clear-eyed about his path to success in the league. And I think that is the biggest thing you wanted to see out of him if you did watch him this year because he was a guy, you know, reasonably, potentially, before we knew what Zion was going to be, could have been the number one pick. I mean, he was, like, no doubt top five for everybody that was looking at this stuff last summer and came in and and never got past that six-man role with the Tar Heels, never really got to spread his wings, had a few games when when the kind of the pace picked up and kind of those those garbage hustle plays. He had some games where he exploded with a lot of that stuff, but never really got to show like a refined skill set as a playmaker. So a lot of questions, but it seems like he's ready to answer those questions. And I also just feel like a guy that athletic who can shoot, make plays, strong and, and filled out already physically despite being so young. Um, I would not be upset to take a chance on a guy like that in a weird kind of scattered draft like this. Okay. Well, we got a couple of good names out of this. Um, Thanks for jumping on and doing this, man. Appreciate it. I thought there was a lot of good information. Always good to have some intel from the ground floor. So uh, thanks for jumping on. Yeah, cool. No no problem, man. I, I really appreciate you having me.